Do I use a buyer's agent? Do I not use one? A question that comes up quite often. Also, when is the right time to use one? And what are some of the things that we often hear when people are considering one or have even come across to use our services and felt that, no, these are the clear reasons why I felt it made sense. What about after they've purchased with us and they look back and reflect on our journey? What was the most common things they say? Maybe you're almost there and you're thinking, do I really need one? And maybe this could be the moment where I go do it myself. Well, this episode today is going to bring you the answers to that. My name's Arjun. I'm the head of research and founder of Investigate Buyers Agency. And we help clients outperform the market by over 29% in terms of capital growth. So imagine you're getting 10% growth in the market. Well, on average in that year, we would have achieved 13 or even more in most cases. So from this perspective, we've got a knack for finding clients' properties that outperform and also are able to consistently grow their portfolio to new heights. Now, this is where Lewis, who's our guest for today, is our senior property consultant at Investigate. He speaks to between 50 up to 80 people in a month about their finances, their property journey, what are they up to, what are they looking to get out of investing. And on many occasions, those conversations end up being that we don't feel there's a fit to work with them or vice versa, depending on what they're after. And that's okay. Because in this episode, you're going to get to know the reasons of maybe why you shouldn't use a buyer's agent because it doesn't always marry up and it shouldn't. But on other situations, Lewis gets to speak to people who are in need of help. He uncovers where and why they need help in these conversations and also sees that they may be a fit to work with us. On these occasions, you might want to know what made these people want to work with us. Why, after working with us once, they worked with us multiple times again. And not even us, just buyers agents in general. So we thought we'd catch up with Lewis. And Lewis, senior property consultant, investigate, got to share more about when to use one, when not to use one, and some of the common mistakes he sees in considering one. So check out this episode and we'll jump straight to it. I'm always uh, keen to chat with you, mate, and this will be the first time for everyone in the Investigate podcast show. It's like doubling up on the it's like podcast show, recording, entertainment, all in one go. Uh, it'll be the first time hearing pe- for people to hear more about you know what you do and and how you speak to many investors on their journey. And some are very eager, keen to you know get to know more about buyers agents and see if they're a fit to help them in their portfolio. But others, maybe not the right fit, and we have occasions where that might be the case. So today's episode, keen to jump into a lot about how people maybe might be thinking about these things and want to know whether they are on that side or the other side, and just some, I guess, tips that you can give them. So you speak to a lot of people. I mean, when it comes to not using a buyer's agent, what are some of the common impacts that you hear from people on their stories before even, you know, coming to speak to us about our services, you hear things about their current portfolios. What are some of the impacts that you've seen in people's portfolios from not using one? Yeah, look, firstly, been campaigning a while to get myself on one of your podcasts. So uh, here I am. But look, I think talking to investors that are looking at coming on board with Investigate and have previously purchased, typically there's just been something that's happened that's really held back the accelerating of their portfolio. So whether they've picked up an asset sort of early doors that might not have seen that growth, 
um, and therefore not being able to continue to leverage and build out their portfolio or something that you know hasn't performed on the yield side of things. So it's holding back that borrowing capacity. So you know whether it's the first time investor wanting to get it right or you know, an investor that's had a bit of a delayed time frame there with coming to purchase their second or third property, it's typically fueled by um, either a mistake or fear of making a mistake. It's that fear that keeps coming up, right? And I guess it's it's part of the the issues that they may have seen in the past and, and sort of those scars that they've had. And what are some stories that you've heard in the past, for example, of like a mistake that you can think of that comes to mind that you've been like, hey, I've seen this before this, and this comes up again and again? Yeah, well, I guess a lot at the moment after the recent housing boom, there's there's a few investors that, you know, they actually didn't get that boom. So whether it's they invested in a unit in Melbourne or Sydney and or bought something off the plan that sounded great and had all these bells and whistles, but it just hasn't seen that growth. And they've been having to go away and really work on their savings themselves rather than the property itself starting to leverage. Um, you know, there's been a few horror stories there just on, you know, you're not covering some due diligence when it's coming to properties and it being an absolute nightmare to get it rented out or um, having some real issues with the property management teams because they didn't have any networks uh, where they were purchasing. It might be surprising for many, but it's so common, right? Mm. The some of the stuff that you're hearing and seeing. And for people tuning in, like Lewis can have months where he's between 50 to 70 plus you know, consultations, right? And when you're having that volume of consultations with people wondering, hey, is Investicit the right fit for me or not? And you hear so many of these stories, it must be pretty demotivating on the like client side when you're sitting there and you're watching TV and it's like national property boom, values up 20 to 30% and rents booming, rental crisis. And you're just there like, nah, not really. Hey, I mean, the valuations are not stacking up or growing on my one. It's, it's pretty devastating for some, but at the same time, I know many clients look to the lighter side of it and go, Hey, I, I stuffed up and want to make this right. And you're spot on the units things keeps keeps coming up. But to be honest, if it was me, and it was me in like a Parramatta unit, which I remember renting out for some time, I would have just stuck to stuff the boom. I've got Guzman Gomez at the bottom of my ground floor that that you guys don't have when you go to your typical house. And, and it gave me some good memories of those times there. But aside of those units that you see, and you know, some of the the backyard investing and some of the other things we've talked about, when it comes to a buyer's agent or even investigate, when are some times to maybe go, hold on a minute, I'm having this conversation with you and I don't feel that you should use one or even work with us? Yeah, look, I think if someone comes to us and we're having a chat and they have, you know, a research process that, you know, maybe is on par with us or they have all the time in the world and, and they love property and they love property investment and they love the journey of it. You know, they enjoy that risk that they take with property. You know, they've narrowed down specific locations and, and specific asset types. Sometimes I'm listening to this and I sort of have to stop them and go, what, what do you feel like you need us? I mean, what more value are we going to add here if if you're so certain that this market is likely to outperform? If you know, if you are so confident, is we really sort of step back and go, well, I think you should give this a shot. I mean, sometimes we have those people reach back out after uh, after a couple of months if it hasn't quite clicked. But I mean, that's the great thing about when we do have, like you said, 50 to 70 calls is about making sure that the people that are coming on board are going to benefit from working with us and not just taking on absolutely everyone because they can invest. We have to be on that sort of same page. Yeah. It's like specific area, research process. I'm set and sold on this area. Mm. No matter what you say, this is where I'm investing. 
I even know the coffee shop down the road over there. It's actually pretty good. And I want to be a few streets away from there, but I need help. All right, well, hold on a minute. Like you could be that one step away and we want to be there just to give you that confidence and guidance after this chat to say that you should go and do that. But when it, you know, you take a moment and take a step back, I've seen you also respectfully challenge certain people. Do you know what other markets may produce? You know, how much practical experience have you had? Do you feel like you've got certain, you know, tendencies coming up and certain things that you look for just because you know that area and you've over-researched that area and now you're fully committed to it? So there can be moments where it can fall on the other side. What are some other reasons of when to not use a buyer's agent or even when to potentially not use us? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of using a buyer's agent if it's going to be your principal place of residence. I sort of feel like that does need to be more of a feel thing and less of a data-driven approach. So, you know, unless I was maybe buying some sort of castle somewhere, that's when I might be uh, getting a buyer's agent to get me access to that. Yeah, I, I also think, I think that that's probably the two main areas. What about yourself? What do you think? Uh, I mean, have there been yeah, it's a good one. I mean, I agree. Owner-occupier places isn't our forte, right? Like when it comes to data-driven decisions, that's where we, we specialize in. And, you know, I mean, if, if we're going to go through this research report and I'm going to go, hey, this eastern suburbs or western pocket of Adelaide is showing this data, that's tremendous. And this area could be growing by this percent, in our opinion. And these inventory levels are falling. Vacancy rates are low. We go through all of this and you go, sounds amazing, but that chimney is giving me weird vibes. You know what I mean? Like you're going to, what the hell, man? Like how can I help you with my research for that? I mean, if you're time poor, sure. If there might be a local buyer's agent in Adelaide that does that. But when it comes to what we do, data-driven investments. I agree. Such a good point. Look, another one, Lewis, that I would say is having adequate buffers. You know, we often talk to people when they wonder, hey, why are you guys so fixated on having at least 100K or 80K minimum of funds. It's not because you need that money to purchase a property. Look, you can take higher loan to value ratio loans. You can, you know, go to areas where you get you know, lower costs and government costs, like Queensland's pretty affordable in, in stamp duty side of things. Same with parts of New South Wales, obviously. And there's all these other factors to consider. But why we talk about these funds is that not only can we purchase property, but you can know that by the end of the purchasing timeline, you've actually also got buffers in play. You know, I can do a piston building report. We can have contacts review everything. But an aircon, a dishwasher can still go out in the first few months. And they're not cheap, you know, a grand here, two grand here, death by a thousand cuts and you're five to 10 grand deep if something comes up in the first year. And we all know from all the portfolio mapping scenarios we've done, the best results come to those with a large holding over time. Keyword, over time. Not, I shat myself and after one year, I basically need to sell my place because I can't handle the expenses coming from this. Or two years in, you know, pulled out the short straw on a few occasions. So we believe in buffers. So if you're not going to have that buffer in place, it might not be ideal to use our services until you do. Or we might use our services with the research component and eventually buy as you get to it. So that was kind of my thinking. Any any other points on that one? Or should we jump into the juicy side of when do you use one? Why do you use one? I think just one final point on that. And we are a very data-driven, I guess, buyer's agency, but there's a human element to it. So is how does this property fit in for you, fit in for your portfolio and what the goals are long-term? So, you know, just on that point of um, not having adequate buffers, really needs to come back to how this property or next decision you make fits into your overall portfolio. Yeah, good call. 
It's like, it's one piece to the puzzle, isn't it? Yeah. Mate, so when it comes to the people that do come on board, right? We had 30 people in the month of November just recently come on board who felt that our services are a fit for them and they feel that buyers agents can help them. They feel that we can add value to their lives through investing and enhance their portfolio. What are some of the most common things that you hear, reasons why, that keep coming up again and again? So someone is tuning into this and they go, ooh, this sounds like I might need some help. What are some of the things you hear? Yeah, so I guess there's uh, a few few reasons why people are reaching out and, and, and eventually coming on board. Um, I mean, with a lot of the media noise at the moment is people want to have a little bit more confidence around the areas that they are selecting. So that comes back to if they're being, if they're time poor, they don't have enough time essentially um, to be researching and identifying these markets. And I heard in your, one of your latest podcasts is around, it's not that unidirectional, you know, moving forward Australian market at the moment. So therefore, what is the amount of due diligence and research to determine markets that are resilient and still seeing growth even now? So it sounded like a research process. If that's missing for someone that can come in research capability and time poor sounded like I picked up those key elements from that perspective. Yeah, that's, that's, that's such a good point, Lewis. What other things do you often hear as well? Yeah, wanting some structure around their overall portfolio. So some portfolio guidance. What does that mean? So what's portfolio guidance look like? It's about taking the end goal to people's portfolios and then trying to find sort of reverse engineer what type of property will fit into that now. So looking beyond this purchase um, and going, okay, what is purchase two and purchase three look like and what do I need now in order to be getting there? You know where I noticed that helps um, a lot of people. It's like those people that just go, I want to buy, I want to buy and I want to buy and like, that's great. You want to buy forever and you want to buy everything that exists in, in Australia. Awesome. Do you know what I mean? But you don't actually need that many properties. And that too, you don't need that many if you're going to make them debt free. And that's the part that many forget. And so people think of these common slogans of 10 properties in 10 years. And then they go through this working with a buyer's agent and our team goes through portfolio mapping and realize that, hey, that 100K figure that you're looking at is four debt free properties Mm. at about half a million or a little bit more. And maybe you need six properties to get to the four debt free through selling some, using your savings, seeing rent grow. And all of a sudden, those goals start to be hit. So such a good point on that whole portfolio mapping piece. Another thing that me and you were talking about, Louis, was um, the accountability partner. Could you tell me more about that and why that's something that you see comes up quite often? Yeah, so back to um, what we were talking about earlier is when people are reaching back out. Sometimes we're having a chat and we go, okay, what's the investment journey been like so far? And they go, well, I purchased property 10 years ago. I purchased another one five years ago. You sort of go, well, why is it taking five years between properties? It's now another five years now. And they go, oh, oh, don't know, you know, life sort of got in the way, uh, had pretty good equity gain, but just sort of haven't gotten around to it. So some of the benefit there is around having that partner to be driving you on your investment journey as well. Uh, well, what's required from you here? You know, where do we need to get to to be hitting your goal? Yeah. If you were to look at the journeys of clients that we've had, that I'm just thinking out loud here, like that five-year piece that could have been two, and then they change their mapping and they go, hey, bring this back to two years instead of five on that session that we have. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, we can get this by 55, not 60. It's crazy how much like compound growth can change just those few years from building the asset base earlier. And that reminds me of another point on the component of asset base. I know you talk often about properties that maybe aren't on the market. For those who might be listening and turning into pre-market, off-market, what are these properties? Because they seem to be a key thing that we also pick up from time to time. And 
many people highlight that that was the reason of using us as well. Yeah, so I guess, uh, I mean, more access to stock within the market just gives you larger pools to be selecting from and making sure it's passing all of that due diligence so you're not making a mistake when you're picking up the asset itself. So I guess, uh, you know, a question back for you, Arj, having, you know, bought so many properties is why do you see that these these properties are coming um, off market and what's the benefit there relative to on market? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good call. So firstly, I would say that it's actually such a small percentage of properties that are actually in a benefit, meaning a better deal than what might be online. So there aren't better deals than the other. What it does do though is that it gets me to the stock before someone else does. And if you are quite you know, confident in an area's performance and you look at what we do, we purchase approximately 35 to 40% of properties pre or off market. We suddenly go, well, if these areas are growing in which they have, like give an example, Bundaberg and Toowoomba this year, now coming to December end, have produced double digit gains whilst we're talking all over the media about some cities producing double-digit declines, interest rates going up eight, nine times. So this clearly shows that, you know, if the market was growing and you kept delaying it or couldn't get into some of these cities, just as an example, because you kept fighting in competition, then what's that value to you of getting in pre-market, off-market? So that's one component, earlier access. The second component of you know, what, what comes up is relationships. You know, there's intel that comes from off-market properties and there could be reasons to sell or there could even just be what it takes to get it done. Sometimes people without the in- intel of what it takes to get it done are lost in the price of what I should give when it's on market because there's so much secrecy or, or leaving it onto the buyer and their choice of, hey, best and final offers, put your best foot forward. And you don't know if that best foot forward is lowballing for the next three months and wasting weekends or if that best foot forward is overpaying 10% and you were like the biggest offer by far in comparison to everyone else in the playing field. So you can kill that because with off-market properties, if we know it takes us to secure it, I can look at my comparable sales and go, huh, load of crap. I ain't touching this property, overpriced. And that's what happens for most off-markets, by the way, for anyone tuning in. They're over, overpriced properties that sales agents go, mm, I hope I can sell this. And I don't think I can sell this for what the vendor wants. Might flog it out to my connections and hopefully someone you know, falls through the trap. Some fresh buyer's agent new to the game just wants to come in and pay overs just so they can get their client a, a cool off market. We're not here to do that. That's why we're not, we're not repping 70% off markets. We're repping 35 to 40% because a load of them are pretty garbage. So key part, just coming back to your point, is access to relationships, access to more stock, and at times, pretty good deals. So that's that's coming coming up in terms of the off-markets our way. When you are thinking of um, all the conversations you have, Lewis, I'm interested to know what actually makes a very successful client. And the reason why I say that is that you've, you've worked with clients who've then come on board and purchased four, five, or six properties in quick succession than others who haven't, even though the capability might there, things just haven't aligned for them. What have you noticed in, ter- in terms of some traits that tend to come up again and again for those ones that achieve some pretty phenomenal results? I think just people who are open to following the data. I think people who, you know, they they trust us and trust that the areas that we're recommending to purchase are actually, you know, areas that either yourself has bought in or someone in our team has bought in as well. So willing to be guided, but also have a have a voice through that as well. So in establishing, okay, well, what is our appetite for risk? What are the goals? What's the direction that we want our portfolio to go in? And, and working together 
to be achieving that. Yeah, that's that's powerful. It's like it's almost like there's that reflection piece that keeps coming up again for them around what it's going to take to achieve that from a goal perspective. If I was to go, hey, Louis, what's your top three in terms of reasons when someone's going, you know what, this is why I feel comfortable in working with a buyer's agent or this is really why I need help or areas I need help in. What are the top three that seem to come up time and time again? So number one, I think, is the research. So most costly mistake people making in property is being in the wrong market at the wrong time. Two would be around not making a mistake in that due diligence and buying process itself. And then three is they want to build an overall portfolio targeted again to the end goal. So it almost seems like it's capability from the research, clarity from the the portfolio goal, and then it's you know, again, another point of capability again from the due diligence perspective. And that really sums it up well made in terms of when to use a buyer's agent. So some of the things, just recapping time, sick of missing out again, overall portfolio guidance, having an accountability partner. This is gold here. Research process, tools, capability, off-market connections, worried about making costly mistakes and lack of experience with the buying process. Have I missed anything? Do you think that covers it off pretty well? I think that pretty much nails it, mate. Awesome, mate. Now, if you're thinking of someone who goes, look, I don't need help with uh, any of these, what should they do? Think again. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Write your list down and uh, and make sure that you have each of those points points covered. But look, I think just research and then research again. uh, I think in the building industry, it's uh, measure twice, cut once. Research twice, buy once. Yeah, there you go. And look, if you if you if you don't need help with any of those things, you're on your way, and you should use that as a sign of confidence. You're hearing it from um, us too, and we we service over you know, 250 clients a year, and we can tell you now that if you don't feel like any of those points are where you need assistance or help with, hats off to you. Well done. And I think you should go out there, give it a real crack, execute it on your own, and and, and do the best you can to build you and your family's wealth. If you feel like any of these points or even one or multiple are impacting your buying journey, jump on investorkit.com.au, speak to the team. You, you'll get a chance to chat to Louis. Uh, Louis helps many investors figure out if we're the right fit for them, learn more about our process, learn more about our service. And it's pretty awesome to hear from you, Louis, on where you think people shouldn't use one and what are the common things you you hear? Because I was waiting just to just to hear you just go, nah, just just ring the phone, speak to me, everyone speak to me, but I appreciate your honesty on this conversation on where, where it doesn't make sense. No, I'd love to be here.